Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepard. When I started this podcast, I made a list of people I really wanted to meet and chat to. Today's guest was at the very top of that list, and he really did live up to expectations. You may know him as Adventure Man, but the man behind the cape is Jamie McDonald, double world record holder and charity champion who has run across both Canada and the USA. He is on Why in the World. Gloucester, Gloucester. What's it? What's it like, Ben? To hit Gloucester, I mean, mate, I actually don't come from too far away here. I was born in Brecon, so the Brecon Beacon. So it's not like it's not too far. I like how how we've got the most intelligent chant on the planet. You know, we know one word, and it is the most important word. Glossa. Yes, Ben. <laughs> Mate, I love your affiliation to this place, though. Everything always comes back to here. You always seem to come home. I'm like a bird, you know. I, I always want to fly away and see other parts of the world, but I always, always fly back again. Why do you think that is? I'm just a Gloucester boy through and through. I was born here. And um, it's funny, isn't it? When you, the more time you spend away you know, the the more I want to come back. And I always used to be like, I hate Gloucester, what a what a like, rubbish place to live. And then, yeah, the more time I go away, I just keep coming back. And then I, I've, I've given up, I've given in. I've got to stay here for the rest of my life. You think you'll be here forever? Yeah, I'll be here forever, although I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep doing big adventures, yeah, but yeah. yeah. I suppose it's nice when you go away and experience the things that you've experienced to come home as well. It's something to like look forward to when you're on the journey, if you will. No, it is actually, you're right. You know, coming back to your like mum's roast dinner, roast potatoes, bisto gravy, you know, it's like all those comforts are like back here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the best way to do this is probably like in chronological order. You've done so many things that I want to cover and touch on. I want to start with the why. Why do you do the things that you do? That is a really good question. That is a, it's a quite a big answer. So we'll, we'll, I guess I'll take you back when I was about five years old and I looked down at my legs and I, I couldn't move them. And my mum and dad were with me at the time and we were, we were all crying because you know I, it was just a, a scary time. And eventually I, I went to the doctors and had loads of kind of tests and, and they found that I had a rare spinal condition called Schringomyelia. So it's a bit of a tongue twister, uh, but what, what that means, there's too much fluid in the spinal cord. And so it just created loads of weird symptoms. So sometimes I would uh, lose the feeling of my hands. Um, I would have epileptic fits and immune deficiency. So I'd struggle to eat um, and I had a whole year off school. And so it was tough, but you know, when you're born with something, it's kind of normal. Like you don't know any different. Yeah you know it it was normal and when I was about uh, nine years old my mum she ended up putting a piece of string in the back garden she said do you want to play tennis and I remember feeling like not really mum but I went out there and I started cracking the ball and I just got this love for movement you know like a dog when you throw a ball for a dog and it's like I've got to go I have to go and yes I was like that for a whole year and all my symptoms gradually disappeared and I managed to get my health so yeah I think that to me 
you know, m- maybe I, I just appreciate everything mm. from that. But as, as I said, I was born like it. So, so where was the turning point for you, though? When did you decide, look, I need to, I need to give something back. That's something that I experienced as a kid. I now need to give back to people that maybe were or are in the same position that you were back then. I carried on playing tennis because that was the love, and uh, and I, I wanted to be like the next big Tim Henman, you know. But I, I did work it out in the end. I was absolutely crap. When you're at coming tennis. onto court, everyone just going. Gloucester. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, being at Wimbledon and Gloucester chanting that exactly. Um, and uh, but I did. I worked it out. I was terrible at tennis. And uh, so then, um, it was about eight years ago was the point where I started to save up to put a deposit on a house. But I just got this gut feeling in my stomach. I don't know if you get those gut feelings. And how old are you, Ben? 26. 26. Yes, prime time. And I got this gut feeling and I just thought, there's something wrong here. Mm. My head is saying, I want the house. But like, my, like right in here in my tummy is just saying, don't do it. So in the end, I just said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I pulled out. And then I just reflected on my life. And I just went through this thought process of there must be more to life. Like, there's got to be more. I suppose at that point you were just following the societal lineage, if you will, like what society expects of you as a young lad, like earn some money, buy a house, buy a nice car, get a girlfriend, get married. Like, you're following that, but then you're just like, oh, not sure I want to follow that. Like, let's go and do something else. Let's go and do something fun. Absolutely. And it's tough to make a, a turn from that. Yeah. Because the whole world's doing it, you know, and all my friends and family. So when I took that time out, that's when I started to reflect and I had an urge to go back to the hospital where I spent most of my life. And um, so I went back and I seen what they'd done and I left there and I just thought, do you know what, there's got to be more to all this. So in the end, I bought myself a bicycle for £50 out of the I newspaper. I love this story. Yeah. Just, just pick it up. Just like 50 quid. That's enough. It was bad. I mean, really bad. And, uh, and I got in touch with the hospital and I said, look, um, I'd like to give back. And so with my own money, I had £20,000 that I saved up for the house. And instead of buying it, I ended up um, flying out to Bangkok and then cycled 14,000 miles back to Gloucester, back to the hospital. How did that idea come about? Why Bangkok? Um, I've been to Bangkok a couple times, so back in the day when I was like backpacking, and, uh, and I, yeah, yeah, and I had a look at the map from Bangkok to Gloucester. And there was all these wacky countries. You're the uh, only person that's ever said that. I looked at a map from Bangkok to Gloucester. Have you have you ever done that? No. I mean, it, it is it is nuts. You want to look at the countries between it. You know, it's got it's got Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Iran, Iraq. I mean, it's got it all. Places you probably didn't even know existed. Exactly. Some of the stories that came out of that trip must have been pretty monumental. We've got so much to cover. Can you pick any sort of moments that stick out in your head, places that you were or days that you experienced that were just next level? When I was in Tajikistan on the Afghanistan border, so it was about... I don't know, 200 yards from the border. I slept on a veranda of a hotel. Normally I'd camp on en route, but I took a hotel that night and there was a few other tourists. And in the morning, it was about 5am and I started to hear what I thought was fireworks. And suddenly I I realised I was um, caught in a big war zone. And uh, so I 
I was doing YouTube videos at the time, so I kind of went out and grabbed the camera and I wanted to film it. And my heart was kind of obviously racing, but I just wanted to capture the moment. But when you turn my camera on, I didn't realize it gives off like this big flashing red light. So I walk into the middle of a big war zone with this big flashing red light. So I ended up being shot at and it was filmed and, and you, you could actually hear the shots kind of ping off the wall right next to me. And uh, and then I realised it was we were in deep poop poop, mm. and um, so we all started to panic with the tourists that we were with, and we thought we were going to be taken hostages and and all sorts. But eventually, this woman turned up and she said, um, "There's a ceasefire after 30 hours," and uh, and she said, "I think you should get out of here and get as far away as as you can." because it's all going to stop for those two hours, so you, that's the window. When that window came, we could all still hear gunfire, and we're like, oh, it doesn't really sound like a ceasefire, but then we all left. And, um, and yeah, nearly 600 people died in those Jesus. 30 hours. How do you train for, for something like a 14,000-mile cycle? Did you train for that, or was it sort of just on the job? Yeah, I'd never really cycled before, so I... I didn't even try the bike out. I mean, it was all just last minute. A bit naive, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I can't help it. It's kind of my nature. And so I, I flew out, and, and I remember getting on the bike, and I was left Bangkok, and I didn't even have a map or a compass, nothing. I was just like, what is going on? Anyway, I just went in the direction of the next country. There was actually signs for Cambodia. So I started cycling, and I'm seeing, like you know, the Thai people, and I'm like, Saudi cap, you know, waving. And then this little nut just came off the bike. And I remember thinking, well, I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> and honestly, it was like, it was like a little spiral. It just, it was like a trickle spiraled. And in the end, I went to proper panic mode. Yeah. And then I ended up like locking myself in this cheap hotel and I was, I was pretty much vomiting over the toilet. It's like a moment of realisation like, I've actually got to do this. Yeah. I've actually got to get back to Gloucester. Yeah. When you turn around to your parents and your friends and your family after saving 20 grand, like you said, and said, instead of that, I'm buying a house, I'm going to go and cycle from Bangkok to Gloucester. What was What was their reaction to the whole thing? It wasn't that great, in all honesty. Yeah. Like, my mum was like, what are you doing? My dad actually was like, great. He was loving it. You know, he's got, I remember he was just so excited. He had a vein pulsating on the side of his head, like, yeah, go for it. And, um, and but a lot of my friends, of course, they're doing the, the kind of standard pathway, if you yeah. like, of Harrison. And so I don't think it was that great because I was detouring from that. So I didn't, I didn't feel the energy, but... Once I started doing the YouTube videos and actually once they started to see the donations coming in and when I got home, you know, now they're like the most supportive friends ever. It's something you do incredibly well as well, which not a lot of people do as well as you do, I don't think anyway, is document your adventures when you're out there. Was that a, was that a decision that was made before you went to do it or did it just kind of happen along the way when you were filming Bits and Bobs? Because that must take up so much time on the adventure as well. I didn't have any plan before I left. I didn't know what <laughs> I was doing. I didn't even know how I was going to fundraise. But when I was out there, you know, you, of course you got these messages and people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, so I set up a Facebook page. And back then, it was eight years ago, you know, Facebook just started. And I have my, I have my Facebook page called Bangkok to Gloucester. <laughs> 
And so I started posting, but it fed into a few demons that I had because I'm dyslexic. I didn't. Oh, no, me too. Me and, too. And even at that time, I didn't realise I was de- dyslexic. I, I now know I do. I found out a few years ago. But um, at that time, I was like, it was just embarrassing. It was all uncomfortable. So I, I in the end, I had a camera. So I just thought, well, well, I'll film. And and I, I remember I was going up this mountain. One of the first times I filmed. I'm up there, I finally make up this misty mountain and I, it was in Vietnam and I'm like up on the top I'm like I want some food and this woman gets me some noodles and I know they're only like two dollars worth like you know whatever Vietnamese money is I can't remember but I thought oh two bucks anyway so she puts the bowl in front of me and, uh, and I eat it and, and then I go to pay and then she like asks for like ten dollars and I'm like no, I'm sorry, love. Like, this just isn't going to work for yeah. me. Like, this is clearly, you're like... You're ripping you're, me off. You're pulling my pants down here. So, and then in the end, like, anyway, I gave it her. And she had it, and she wouldn't give me the change. <laughs> like, she would not give me the change. And in the end, I just thought, right, well, I'm doing it. So I started filming her, and she's going nuts, you know. And there are all these other women. I think they're, like, threatening to, like, punch me. And I thought, this is just not right. Like, something's not right here. They are pulling my pants in. So I just went over, and I grabbed a pack of cookies from their store and then pedaled off. It's like the weirdest episode of Cops ever, you know, and they're, like, filming stuff and they're seeing the criminals do things. You're like, I'll have these cookies and I'm off, love. See you later. <laughs> when you got back from that first adventure, that must have felt pretty special, something that you kind of, we've established, was kind of planned on a bit of a whim. You went out there not entirely sure how yep. everything was going to work. Getting back here and getting back home on that first one must have felt, in t- like, incredibly special. When I when I landed in oh yeah I landed into Gloucester Rugby Club <laughs> yes and uh, and when I got there I mean obviously I, I'd done a lot of rugby matches with my dad but you, we were always in the shed now yeah, for yeah. anyone like that doesn't know the shed I mean the shed is where the rough and the ready and the proper people are so that's where the magic happens is uh, along the field and as like a, a surprise when I arrived they said right get on the field and you're going to do a lap in front of the shed Sick. and I ended up I had like my sandals on with socks on I mean I must have looked like a, a hobo uh, but when I hit the shed like I just felt this like energy and it just choked me up mm. and then the like felt the tears come and then they, the shed picked up on it because as soon as they saw that that was it they just went for it started going absolutely wild so yeah it was a it was a special moment you don't give too much time between your challenges either or you tend to do a couple back to back like in very quick succession that first one you then sat on a bike for forever and decided to do the static world record on a bike i believe it was like two days after you got back you started that is that right it's all about kind of striking while the iron's okay. hot. So it's just like, I'm fit, I'm bike fit, so let's do this world record kind of thing. Yeah, when I was in Iran, I remember I'd, I'd done some really big bike rides, like, I don't know, like 200 miles. And I thought, wow, like, I wonder if like 200 miles is like a world record. You know, so I remember Googling it just for a bit of fun and it came up with this Italian guy and he sat on a bike for 10 days non-stop. And I thought... No well, sleeping. Um, well, it, the rules were, I kind of looked into it, it's like every hour you cycle, you accumulate a five-minute break. 
So if you pedal for 24 hours, there's a two-hour window there. So um, I, I kind of, when I, when I read this Italian guy's story, I thought, that's got to be impossible. Like, how can you keep that, sustaining that for 10 days and you only get that kind of break? I thought it's impossible. And then I pedaled off and, you know, I'm pedaling through all these countries and I'm making my way home. And then I thought, what if an Italian can do it? So, sorry if there's any Italians out there. So I, I then booked it, and, but I realised if I was going to do it, I was going to have to do it like at right now while I was emotionally strong and I was physically fit. So as soon as I landed back, a few days later, I jumped on the static bike at Gloucester Docks. We had set up like an Atwalls marquee and then I started pedalling. And what happened with that? So I made it to eight days, but after eight days, can you think of the worst possible pain after eight days of pedaling? Yeah, just absolutely excruciating. It must have been awful. Where the the pain seemed to channel is just right into the bum. Yeah, like straight it, up your bum. Yeah, straight up the bum. Yeah. It, and and it was so bad it started to bleed, blister, and become infected. And I, I, I mean, we're talking proper mantis. The pain was so bad, but because it was getting it, it was starting to get infected. So the the team there, like the people that were supporting me, they were like, look, we need to like put this to bed. We need to heal it because otherwise, if you get sick, that's the end of the record. So um, so they got some skin specialists out, some nurses, and one of them came in, and uh, I remember she kind of like pulled my pants down. I think, what she what's she doing? So I had a party, and then she takes a picture of it, and then she like. She holds it up while I'm pedalling. I'm like, and I see the photo. I'm like, why would you do that to me? I didn't want to see that. And she said, I'm really sorry, Jamie. She said, there's nothing I can do for your bum to heal. Like, we've had a chat. And the only thing that's going to heal it is if you get off that bike. Mm. And I remember just digging, just thinking, come on, there's, there's more in you. you. You've got to keep going. And then eventually they came back a few hours later with Manuka honey. I don't know if you've ever heard of Manuka yeah, honey. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's really good for wounds, isn't it? It's yeah. really good for wounds. It's actual honey, but it's got an antibiotic in it. So the nurse ended up slapping that on my ass, and it ended up kind of healing. And then I, I cycled for 12 days in the end to break the Guinness World Record. It's crazy that you came straight back and did that, because you would have thought almost the accumulative mileage of that cycle and doing the big back-to-back days and then having a couple of days off and then going straight into that you almost think that maybe wouldn't have helped because your body wouldn't have been totally repaired even though it had kind of adapted to just spinning and spinning and spinning i think that's what i'd like to um uh, mention is what you just mentioned a really good word there adapted yeah and I, I just think of us as like creatures that whatever we do, our body will just adapt. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And but if you sit on the sofa, you turn into like a, like ex- a exactly. You turn into the sofa, basically. You t- basically. yeah, you turn into the sofa. That's yeah. exactly what happens. That's science. Mm. Um, <laughs> as soon as you stop the adaptation and you you become a sofa, but equally, if you just keep pedaling and just keep pedaling and pedaling and pedaling, you become the bike. Bu- you've become, become the, the bike. bike. This is science with Jamie and Ben here, everybody. This is exactly what's happening. So following the bike, then you decided, I don't want to sit on the bike anymore. I don't want to pedal anymore. I don't want to be the bike anymore. I want to be the runner. 
So following the cycling adventures, then you've come into three back-to-back pretty much or quite close together, very, very big running adventures. What was the decision and the thought process behind going to do the Canada Run to start? So after I finished that bike ride, my bum actually needed a holiday. And so I got myself a visa for Canada to go and be a backpacker, maybe do some work, just go and have some fun. But everyone around me kept saying, Jamie, like, what are you doing next? And I remember thinking, what are you talking about? What's next? Exactly. But then uh, the the Gloucester Hospital invited me in and and we ended up raising £20,000 in that year. And they ended up building a new school playroom, which was a it was for me it was a it was a really proud moment, mm. especially having all the time off school, and suddenly we were building a playroom and funding part of um, school teachers to come in and teach the kids. When you see that in front of you, I think sometimes that's the problem with fundraising. Sometimes you just see it on a just giving page, and like you see, oh yeah, I've raised a couple of grand, it's amazing. But when you see something actually that's been built in front of you, that must be pretty special. Like you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? With fundraising, you, you don't want to you don't want to get stuck into that trap where it just feels like you're shifting money across. You wanna, you've got to feel it. And yeah, so I, I left that host, hospital, and then I ended up going back home, and I just thought, well, maybe I should keep doing this. And I still have money left over from the house that I didn't buy. And I was sat on my mum and dad's toilet. I was like, right, well, maybe um, let's sack in the uh, cycling. So I jumped off and I was like, Mum, Dad, I'm going to run across Canada. I know my mum wasn't best pleased and my dad, of course, same again. The vein was back. The vein was back. And he was like, that's exactly what you should be doing. And this time it felt a little bit different. You know, everyone kind of was a little bit like, why, like, do you realise the, the, how scarce Canada is and you're on foot? So there's definitely a lot of fear, but it was a bit different this time. It was a bit like, well, no, you, come on, you should do this. Mm. So a few weeks later, I'd never ran before, and then I just flew out and, and with a backpack. As soon as I was on the aeroplane, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. And I was sat with this woman in silence, thinking, what am I doing? Mm. And then this woman was like, hey, you know, what are you doing coming into Newfoundland? And I was like, well, actually, I'm going to run across Canada. And as I was saying it, I was thinking, no, you're not, Jay. Like, what are you talking about? You can't do this. And this woman was like, are you joking me? And I said, no. And she said, well, where are you staying? And I was like, I've got no idea. And then it went silent for like five or ten seconds. And she said, well, you're staying with me. And I was like, right. And we touched down and her husband was there. And she was like, here's Jamie. He's going to be staying with us for a few days. And we're going to get him sorted before his big run across from Canada. (laughs) Something you must have experienced is the kindness of strangers. You see it in some of your some of your YouTube videos from from the Canada Run, from the America Run, which we'll get onto as well. The kindness of humanity must be something you've experienced quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I had to I had to actively search for kindness, like subconsciously, because I I got quite lonely after a few weeks of mm. running. But imagine, because it's totally solo. This you're self-supported on your own. Yeah, and Newfoundland is is barren. You it's know, there's there. there's nothing there. It, there's really nothing so after a few weeks I thought I'm not going to cope here like I'm not going to be able to do this so I I went up to this door and I knocked on the door and I was like hi I'm running across Canada is there any chance I can camp on your lawn but in my brain then I was thinking just please let me in 
and this woman she was like no you can't like off you go and I was like oh look I'm really sorry I didn't want to disturb you and she said well who are you anyway I was like well my name's Jamie and I'm doing this big run and she said right well just wait there will you boy and uh, and I, I kind of stood there and then about five minutes went past and she opened up the door and she said right I've just googled you and you're real <laughs> and she said go on then sell up your tent so good <laughs> So I set on my tent and then she comes back out five minutes later again and she says, stop setting up your tent. She said, there's a, a motel just up the road um, and it's all paid for you. All you need to do is just grab the key. And I went in there and I had a cup of tea with her and her brother and sister was there and we ended up spending the evening together just drinking tea and biscuits. And she said, yeah, I'm going to support you for the rest of your journey. And she did. I bet there's been a few moments like that where people are like, this guy's not real. This guy, what's he talking about? He's running across Canada, he's <laughs> running across America. And they're like, no, he's actually doing it. Look down at yeah, he's actually doing this. This is true. This is a real thing. So with that Canada adventure, you must have faced some pretty mental weather. It must have been freezing cold in parts of it. It must have been windy, rainy, snowy. Weather must be something that you've kind of had to deal with on all of these different challenges. How do you kind of mentally stay strong when it is absolutely lashing it down or snowing or windy or you just don't want to go any further because it's so awful? When I hit the prairies in Canada, when I was probably about 140 marathons in, I had chronic tendonitis in my foot and the winter was kicking in and I was just too slow. The, the goal really was to try and get past the winter, but I just, in the end, I was in the full thick of it. It was minus 45 some days. And so, of course, I've never experienced... Boy from Gloucester, experiencing minus 45. I didn't... It gets chilly down here, but not that bad. <laughs> so, I, I, in the end, I got myself a ski mask... And the people that were taking me in at that time... looked even more mad. Oh, it was ridiculous. And I had a superhero costume on. But I had all this, like, winter clothes underneath the superhero costume. So that went on the outside. So I looked like this big, fat superhero. As I kind of ran into it, I remember one day where my mask kind of, like, steamed up. Like, it must have been from my breath. And then it just froze. Mm. And I, I always faced traffic, and it was quite a busy road with cars coming, um, you know, right close to me, but I couldn't see anything. So in the end, I put my mask up, and then I just ran in, in minus 45 all day, but I had to see. It was the right thing to do. And I, eventually, I, I, I mean, I was, I was in a bad way, but I, I come across this little small community, and it was kind of like a bar slash cafe, and so I, I burst into the door because it was the first place that was warm. And I, I remember just like, you know, just like crouched over, shivering. And there was a, a few Canadian um, blokes who said, oh, that doesn't look good. And I was like, oh, what doesn't look good? They're like, have you seen your nose? And I was like, oh, what's wrong with my nose? And I was like, well, it's kind of turned a bit kind of brown, blacky, I think. And I was like, have I got frostbite? And they said, yeah. And... I don't know what frostbite means, really. You it's know. got a bit of a nippy nose, mate. Yeah, yeah. So in my world, it was just like, well, you get frostbite, and then it just it falls just goes, off. it just falls off. So I look at them, and I'm like, well, does that mean I'm going to lose my nose? Am I going to be noseless, Jamie, for the rest of my life? And then they they kind of look at each other, and then they turn to me, and they're like, yeah, 
That's exactly what's going to happen. So I go into pure panic mode, of course, and I think they've had a few too many beers. But I don't know if you can tell, I did lose a little bit the ending of my nose. Can you see there, Ben? Just like, it's like just a bit. Kind gone. of, kind of. Yeah, yeah. a little a bit little at the bit. end. It's fine. It's I'm, just every time you look in the mirror, you just think of that story. You just yeah. think of those guys in that bar. Yeah, and I've got a massive snore, so I don't think Frostbite <laughs> would have ever got rid of it. If you ever want a nose job, just go and spend some time in minus 45, that'll do. You did touch on the costume. We do have to mention the costume and the name, of course, Adventure Man. Where was that born and why the costume? As I kind of finished the adventure, I actually finished wearing the Flash. You know, the super of the mm. Flash. Because the goal was to be, like, really fast, uh, which didn't quite work out really um, but at the end of that, BBC wanted to do kind of a, a short documentary thing, and and they said the Flash costumes a bit a bit annoying me with the whole copyright issues. I wasn't really thinking of that. No, you just thought oh, it'd be funny. Once I realised that I was probably going to be doing adventures for the rest of my life, I thought, well, we we need a new superhero. So I'd done a Facebook competition and put it out there and said, would you would you get your kids to design a new superhero? and do a drawing of him and and, uh, and it came back with Adventure Man uh, by Connor and uh, he was the winner and, and the drawing sorry Connor it wasn't that great but you know the colours and what it looks the concept the concept Connor yes. was fantastic the that's it thanks Ben you saved me there right at the last minute uh, it was it was amazing so, so Connor won and then I shared that on Facebook and said look um, Connor's the winner and I had this Facebook follower called Maggie Pierce, who was so supportive, one of those people that I knocked on her door and came on in. And she ended up getting a professional designer uh, who creates like ice hockey jerseys okay. with the material. Yeah. And so that got posted through my door as Adventure Man. And she also done Adventure Boy and Adventure Girl. Pretty, it was pretty amazing. It must stink. Oh, I've just done, I've just done the whole year across America wearing it. Just wake up one in the costume. Of, wake up in the middle of the night and adventure man. The costumes just walking across the bedroom floor. It's so minging. <laughs> just like hello mate, you right? Time to run again. <laughs> so you mentioned America. That's the first time really we've mentioned it. Canada was done, and you are now on to America. Was there any point after Canada, before America, that you kind of you kind of thought to yourself? why am I doing this again? There must have been so much hardship in Canada. There must have been times that you thought, this is so difficult. I don't know if I can finish it. It was 5,000 miles. It was like, why am I going to put myself through this again? Was there any point that you thought, Jamie, what the hell are you doing, mate? I ended up receiving one really amazing letter in the Rocky Mountains when everyone was shooting me messages saying, look, don't go. Like, just don't go. Just don't bother. Just don't don't go. And and because they they were saying that snow could pile up as high as you know as high as this ceiling. And if you're out there on your own, you're putting your life in danger. And I, I met a family en route on that run, and I ended up getting this message from the mum, and she said, I don't know if you remember us, um, our boy Samuel, um, his his kind of cancer's kind of returned now, and we're at the stage where we're out of treatment options. And she said, as a mum, she said, I'm so terrified for you of what you're about to go through and what you're thinking about. But she said, as a mum of a, of a son that's about to lose his life, she said, Jim, I think you should keep going. And she was the only person at that time 
telling me to keep going and and so I made it through the Rockies and when I came out the other side I think you know I did go back to that like you know I've done enough already but that that message I, there was something about it it kind of it just stayed with me it stayed with my heart and and I ended up then setting up my own foundation called Superhero Foundation I just wanted to help sick kids and families I, I don't know I didn't know where it was going to go or anything mm. and um, before I knew I ended up um, helping our first family by getting a dad to climb up uh, Robinswood Hill in Gloucester 75 times <sighs> until he reached the equivalent of Mount Everest Gloucester and uh, Gloucester we totally broke him but in that time we actually um, raised enough money to get his daughter an operation in America to enable her to walk she's got cerebral palsy so I kind of started that that journey really, you know, helping families and I got quite comfortable. I'm not going to lie, mm. you know, I was quite happy sparking other people's challenges and supporting them. And then I, I wrote a book. Uh, so that helped me kind of process it. Now, the book was the magical part in the processing stage. I don't think I realised how special the adventures were until I started until writing. Down. Exactly. Mm. And then you start remembering, oh, this person and that person. And then, and then when that journey uh, finished, I kind of felt like, do you know what? Like, I am, I am comfortable. And now it's time to start getting uncomfortable again. Mm. It's time to... For growth. Does that excite you? Yeah, it does. It puts something in my belly, like little flutters. Yeah, like a fire starts sort of burning. You're like, I need to do this. We need to keep going. Do you feel a pressure to keep going? Yeah, mm. I do feel a pressure to keep going. From yourself or from other people? I think probably both. Uh, but I'm very socially aware, so I understand that the pressure really from, from other people is just just me you know yeah. that's me you know if you I'm, thinking that they're pressuring you exactly yeah. so so i'm quite okay with kind of pushing that to the side and being like no no that's just your thoughts it is my pressure i can't help but feel like i i was put on the world to just do more yeah. and uh, and i can't get rid of it it's just there now now i found my thing it never was there i can assure you i was like drinking tons of beer at 18 years old every single day and you know there was no you there, know, there was no was, niche there was no passion there was nothing like exactly. that exactly but this is your passion isn't it yeah I've, I've found it. it I found it and as weird as it is I go across countries wearing superhero costumes <laughs> but it, but but there is there's something there that just wants me to I've got to keep going so um, the America trip kind of you know was kind of formed a few years later where really it was about starting where I left off and so, yeah, I started up in uh, up by the Canada way, the state of Washington. I had a one-year visa, and the, the mission really was to hit as many kids' hospitals as I could within the, within the year. So logistically, just try and describe the route, because when people say running across America, they think you're probably just going to go boom, boom, straight across. It's like, imagine America, picture America, and then it's like a big smiley face. So from Seattle, Washington, down to LA, and then all along the right. bottom, Texas, all the way around, but then back up to a place called Gloucester in Massachusetts. It always comes back. It always comes just, back. It's just a bird. I just always got to fly back, even fly if it's home. not in the right country. The America journey, how did that compare to the Canada journey? Obviously, Canada was your, your first big, big, big run journey this was your second were there similarities that you drew were there differences 
That is a good question. There was definitely a bit of pressure of like, you know, the last the last adventure ended up raising half a million dollars yeah. for kids' hospitals. And then this time I was like, oh, am I going to be able to do this again? Am I going to be able to raise, you know, much money? Am I going to achieve it? So there was definitely a different energy force approaching this one because I'd done it before. Um, but with adventure, you know, I, I wholeheartedly know that it doesn't matter what adventure if it's in a different country adventure is just different and you can't you can't plan adventure that's yeah. why it's called adventure so so yeah i think it was a, a totally different journey in the end although it was kind of a similar mileage it was a it was a very different journey you just don't know what's going to happen it's just i suppose so random the experiences you're going to have the people you're going to meet the stories that you're going to gain in everything is going to be totally different it's obviously something you found with the america run it's scary as well we've got to hit that point you know it's exciting but it's terrifying daunting it's daunting and especially on the build-up before you start the adventure like that's the worst Mm. because you just feel like well i don't know what it looks like i don't know what i'm going to be doing and then and then when you get there you're like oh just got to run down the road do you still feel scared though even after doing all the things you've done yeah yeah when i was in arizona i had to run at night every single night because it got so hot it was barren desert it was hitting like nearly 60 degrees that's with the heat hitting the ground and then and bouncing then right and bouncing off. back so it was 60 degrees so it wasn't possible to run in the day and everyone was like i don't know how you're going to do the desert and of course brilliant british planning i land into the desert hottest time of year so in the end i started to run at night just then it was the only thing to do to get through and so I'm, I'm running in this one night i leave this mexican restaurant and I, I like go into the go into the like barren nothing just road sand and after a few hours it's about one o'clock in the morning and this car drives past me and then and then i hear it turn around it's the first car i've seen all night i'm like oh humans they want to say hi and then this car pulls up next to me and this window goes down and then this woman's like uh uh and she was like acting all awkward i was like it's all right love just spit it out it'll be fine and she said right i just don't know whether to tell you or not and i was like tell me what you go for it i'm sure it'll be fine and she's like well you're running that way right and i was like yep yeah, no, i'm running that way and i hope to land in this little community by tomorrow morning for sunrise and she's like right well i think it's best that i should let you know that a mile up the road we just spotted a mountain lion and so i said right what does that mean exactly and she said i'm not really sure i was like well i'm not sure either and she said right well i think it's best that i should just let you know okay well good luck bye she just drives off drives off so now i'm in like pure fight or flight mode i think i need to just run back to the community where i where i was staying before but i mean it was a tiny community i spent the day sleeping in the fire service um station like the volunteer place and i I stood there just in pure panic thinking what am i gonna do what am i gonna do and i thought if i run back first i've got nowhere to stay the firefighter place is closed and so i thought what am I going to do if I go back tomorrow night I've got the same problem I've got to run out here and whether the mountain lion has been spotted or not 
he's probably out here. So what do you do, Ben, in this moment? Probably keep running. You grab <laughs> the biggest pen knife of your life that was about four inches big. It would have probably done more harm to me than the mountain lion. And then and then I, I just thought, right, I'm going for it. And you I just got, hope for the best. I just hope for the best. Got my head torch on. I was so scared. I was listening to every single noise, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if you've ever listened to the desert at night, but every single noise wants to kill you. That is scary, I would imagine. Everything. Just just everything. And, and then when it got about an hour in, on one of the noises, I had my flashlight and then I, I kind of looked and I was like, oh, that's funny. I was like, that's a tarantula. Surely not. And then I got a bit closer and it was like a full on like size of my hand tarantula on the side of the road. And so I, you know, you know, I love to document everything to film. So I'm like, okay, I've just, I've just got to film this. That's all we're going to do. And now I'm getting out of here. Right. So I get my foot and I put it up next to the spider just to show the, the kind of comparison of how big it actually was. And as I put my foot down, like the tarantula like feels the vibration, turns around and then just starts running at me. Forget the mountain lion. I am petrified of spiders, right? So I'm like, oh, oh. so I just, I, I just start legging it. But as I start legging it, I've got my pram called Caesar. As I start legging it, another tarantula pops up, another one. Before I realise, there's literally hundreds. It's of like them. chasing you. And as I'm running, I'm like, I'm, I'm actually hitting them with my pram, like bam, bam, like hitting them. And I was like, ah. It was the most scariest night of my life. And then I make it into this little restaurant in the morning to this community. And I open up the door and I sit down and I see these like three blokes. And they're like, oh, you look like you've had a rough night. <laughs> if you knew, mate, if you knew. It must be difficult, though, to toe that line between sort of risk and rewards when you're out doing these things. Because you never want to be too risky for obvious reasons but you always want to get to the goal of that day or wherever you're setting out to get to. You must almost feel sometimes it quite difficult to sort of, should I do this? Should I not do this? Which way are we going to go? I think probably it's harder thinking about doing it. So if we just think about running across the desert, you know, with 50 degrees, we're not quite sure what that looks like. We're not quite sure, you know, we hear rumours that there's mountain lions and tarantulas and like the thought of doing it is way worse. But when you're there, don't get me wrong, it's absolutely petrifying. But when you're there and you're in it, I just think you end up, you just end up being more courageous. Mm. Do you think it's just that adapting just in a different way? You're just adapting to your to your surroundings, to I suppose the over arching goal which is to get to that point and you've got to adapt yourself your mind your body to get to that point i would imagine it's kind of similar maybe yeah and i, I don't know what you think but fear is is the blocker for everything mm. like fear just stops us from doing anything and actually it's like the boogie monster you know you're like if you don't look in the cupboard 
well then it's petrifying if you actually go and look you realise well it's mm. not really not that scary a couple of terrible shirts and a bit of dust that's it exactly well that's your wardrobe oh, yeah, mate. that's a very good point yours is a couple of pairs of flip flops and a pair of shorts probably <laughs> <laughs> and the adventure man suit that's yeah. it <laughs> so you get back from America I would urge anybody that hasn't been to see some of those videos just to go back and just watch as many in succession as you can because that journey was amazing I think and I think you documented it incredibly incredibly well you get back and you do the same thing as you did with the bike ride and basically jump straight into another challenge now this challenge for me is one of the most bonkers things you've done not because it was as long as some of the previous things but I think a lot of people can attest to how difficult they find running on a treadmill um, mentally a lot of the time you've got this insane running fitness when do you decide that you're going to do this record and explain what the record is exactly that you try to break so the the mission at the end of the US was to then attempt um, I think it's probably up there with one of the toughest world records yeah I would say I would and, say so and it was to run it was to run seven days on a treadmill and to cover the most amount of miles within those days so the rules are you can get on and off the treadmill whenever you want, which is a great rule. The only challenge is that the guy and, or, and the lady that holds the record, it was at 517 miles. All right, so that works out about three marathons a day or more in order to break the record for seven days. So, And I, I realised, like, for me attempting this, there was a really good chance I wasn't going to make it. Mm. And as a little test run in the US, I actually ran 75 miles. I thought, let's see what one day looks like. So I ran and I ended up running through the night a little bit just to see what it was like. And I ran 75 miles. At the end of it, I was utterly broken. I was like, I, I can't run another mile. Like, I am done. And so... I still thought, right, let's still go ahead with the record. I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to be able to times that by seven, what I've just done. Mm. But it's that blind naivety, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what it looks yeah, like. Your body's done everything else you've asked of it, so why not just give it a go and see if it works? Yeah. You know, something I've got to share with you, and this is, I, I really do mean this, is that I'm not a great runner and I, I don't have a great VO2. My body's actually pretty normal. I just know how to keep going. Mm. Like that's that's my gift. And I, and I recognise that. And um, so that was my gift to the record. Is that Why is that? Why can't you keep going? Is it flashing back to stuff you went through as a kid and like, how mentally strong maybe you had to be to get through that, do you think? It's a good question, isn't it? You know, why Why can I withstand, like, brutal... Pain? Yeah. It's pain. In a nutshell, yeah. At that point, when you're, you know, three days deep into that world record on a treadmill, I would imagine there is a considerable amount of pain. Do you know what? Can I answer this, right? when we get to the end of the seven days because during the record I question this as I started the record I'd done the first day and I realised that if I was going to break the record I, sh I should probably do a little bit of walking you know because if you just run the whole time you'll burn out but a little bit of added walking in there and I thought oh walking would be fine I wasn't walk fit didn't, no walking in uh, the US so when I started to do a bit of walking on the treadmill 
as it rolled into the second day, like over a hundred miles, my ankles were were like they swelled up like elephants. And it was from the walking. It was like excruciating to do any walking. And um so I, I, I realised at that moment I thought, I've totally I've totally bugged up here. Mm-hmm. I was like, I haven't given a walking on a treadmill enough credit. And um so I, I, I thought, I, I think I'm done. I made it to like 130 miles and I thought there's no way I'm going to make it and the time of the record just kept disappearing just kept disappearing and uh, and I, I said right I'm, I'm giving up I actually gave up in my brain I'm like I'm, I was like I've just got to look for a good time to get off this treadmill and it was a, it was in Gloucester Docks again you know there's there's people there but I didn't feel it was like a YouTube live stream it was live streaming <laughs> was like, oh. there's no good time to get off mate <laughs> it's no good time well I was thinking at least there needs to be like my friend who might be able to tell me how we share this with the world you know that I've given it everything and oh it's just like oh this is a nightmare anyway I kind of make it through the uh, I make it through the night onto the second night and and then I took my three hours sleep. So that was the mission of just doing three hours every night and then run run. Trying on. to eat, yeah. trying to fill up, trying to get a bit of something in you, I would imagine. Yeah. But I'd done all that on the on the treadmill, so I was eating on the treadmill. I just wanted to keep moving no matter what. Again, it just goes back to I'm not a strong athlete, I can't run fast, but I'll just keep going. And, uh, so I take my three hour sleep. I wake up and I'm like, right, so today's the day you're going to give up? And I'm like, full bone. I then get off and it it is the worst pain then. After doing all that, once you stop and for three hours, everything just seizes up and everything was swollen. So I'm, I'm, I'm practically crawling to the treadmill and I've got two people underneath me to, to help me get to the treadmill. And I'm like, how am I going to even take a few steps? And I just thought, but I have to do this because I have to show the world I'm at least trying. Mm. Like, I have to show them I'm trying. So I get on the treadmill and I'm like, I'm just like taking step by step. I'm talk- we're talking like I was at one mile an hour, you know, like, and that was all I could do. Yeah. I could not go any faster. So I'm just clawing at it. I eventually get up to like two miles an hour. My dad's there. There's a few other people. And then that was it. I just said to everyone, I was like, I'm so sorry. I can't do this. I said, I don't know if you've noticed, but the times of the record's just firing away now. I, like My body's in such a bad state, and I messed up with the walking. My ankles are bad. And I said, Dad, I'm getting off. And my dad said, no, you're not. And I said, no, no, Dad, I've already made up my mind. It's done. And he said, no, 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 you're not. He said, we're going to work through this. And I said, there's nothing you can do or say, Dad. And he said, right. He said, we're going to get food on tap, we're going to get water on tap, because it hasn't been a slick operation. I said, Dad, food and water is not going to solve what's going on here. I said, my body's gone. And he said, we're going to get ibuprofen. <laughs> I'll send your mum down the co-op. <laughs> like... I said, Dad, I said, you're not listening. It's not going to do anything. He said, well... Do you want to be open to our suggestions or do you want to just give up? I thought, you. So I said, go on then, go on, start it. I said, but nothing's going to change, but I'll be open. 
She said, do you want a coffee? And I said, yes, grab us a coffee. Because I hadn't drank coffee for like two weeks, you know, to make sure I was in the... I said, grab me a coffee. It doesn't matter. I've given up. So I may as well just enjoy this now. So I get a coffee, neck a coffee. He comes back. He's an ibuprofen. Right. Then these people come in in the morning, like eight o'clock in the morning, the new volunteers for the record. They're like, what's going on? And um, so we share it. And then this um, Gloucester rugby player, he turns up and he says, um, he says, ibuprofen. He said, ah, he said, I used to, back in the day, he said, uh, he said, I used to do ibuprofen just to get rid of the pain. He said, right, let's get it. Let's get the operation going, you know. And I tell you what, after one, one ibuprofen, like 45 minutes later, I was like, I was like, do you know what? I reckon I can do some running. And I started running. And maybe it was just in the mind, you know, it was, I just got through the patch. And i got to say, there was this tiny, and I mean, I just, for the way I'm showing, like, my finger pinch of, like, this, like, millimetre of a glimpse of hope. In that moment, just a glimpse. Mm. And, um, Ibuprofen-sized glimpse. <laughs> it was just a glimpse. That's all it was. Would you say that's the closest you've ever come to quitting? Yeah. Yeah. Anything? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was the that was the closest. That was rock bottom. That was I'd given up for at least eight hours in my mind, although no one knew. No one knew that I was keeping that secret to myself. And then my dad got a school there, started turning up with uh, bringing letters, um, bringing letters from kids. So then they started to read them out. They were funny, you know. They were, I saw some of them on the live stream. Yeah, and stuff they just. And just those little moments, just, you, you're, you're kind of grasping for anything. And, uh, and then I, I made it to day four, and my girlfriend's parents, so my girlfriend's animal, no, she's, I call her my girlfriend, but we're, you know, you know, we're, you know when you know? Yeah. She's in Scotland somewhere wearing no shoes at the moment. So. <laughs> she really is, yeah. She's running 100 marathons uh, barefoot across Britain at the minute for the girl guiding. So I think she's about 35 marathons in. Um, so she was absolutely incredible. But her parents are ex-Olympians, like ex-rowers. Mm. So they turn up just to come, you know, support me, come say hi. And then they realise that I just created an absolute terrible show. Like, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about food. You know, I wasn't thinking of the operational side yeah. of things. I'm just like, get me on that treadmill and I'll just keep going. <laughs> You were kind of in the same mindset as one of your outdoor, multi-day, very long adventures, kind of just maybe winging it a little bit when you can't wing a record like that. You can't wing that. It's one of the toughest four records yes. on the planet, and, it, and that, that's for a reason, mm. you know. But I've got to stay true to myself in the blind naivety. If I was to do it again, I'd do it very differently. But it's a record. No one ever knows, do they? Like, no. it, it's a record. So it's not like you can call up the other record holder and be like, hey, can you just tell me everything? Everything you did, because I'm going to do it better. Yeah. So you, so you just go in blindly, you know, you just... you. And you do the best you can. And when they're right, I've got to say, it was a game changer because they're very performance driven. You know, they're Olympians. So they come in and they watched me move from the treadmill and go and have a pee. 
you know, every time I got off the treadmill, just to step off the treadmill and change the movement in my muscles was like the most excruciating thing you can imagine, right? So then, as I'm getting off and doing it, it would take like three minutes. They turn around and they're like, Jamie, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, I'm going to have a pee, you know? And they said, right, well, from now on, you're staying on the treadmill, right? You're staying there and you're going to pee on the treadmill. Here's a bottle, mate. <laughs> Well, then it's live streaming, isn't it? There's like everyone from Gloucester there, the puppet. So I'm like, right, okay, well, this seems like right. He's, and you know, Ian's like, look, if you shave off three minutes for the next three days, that clocks up to hours, like mm. actual hours of time. So, um, so we're like, right, great. So, uh, mum and dad, I've always felt like, you know, with, with Ian, he's like, the dad of Anna, you know, I'm with his daughter. I always felt just a little bit of like, that's my daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, which is okay, you know, I get it. And then he's holding my superhero cape, right? <laughs> While I take this pee, mum Sue, she's amazing. She was holding, she was holding the cape as well. And then with his other hand, he was holding the bottle, the see-through bottle, right? And I, I remember I ended up peeing. And I was just like, I peed on his hand. And then I, I like looked up and we just clocked eyes in this silence. And then I like turned and then I looked at Sue and clocked eyes with her. And then we looked down at everything. <laughs> like, what is going on? I'll tell you what, it's going to make a good story for the wedding speech too, if that ever happens, isn't it? <laughs> Probably from your side and his side, we'll hear both counteracting parts. But they were incredible because what they'd done is that they started to kind of create a better process to save off seconds and minutes everywhere they could. Mm. And although they came to say hello, they ended up staying and got themselves a hotel yeah, and said, we'll stay here to the end. You could see there was a point, because you had a screen, obviously, with the time and the mileage, and there was a point where stuff started to turn around and it, it seemed like you were going to do it, because there was a point, like you said, that it was almost slipping away. When you saw those miles start ticking down, when you got to those last few miles, was there a realisation that you were going to do it? Was there a moment that you thought, Jesus, you're, you're actually going uh, you're to finish this? I think so, yeah. I think once I got over the, the kind of halfway, that I think it's when that glimmer of hope, isn't it? Mm. Like, and it only has to be tiny in my world. And, and, and I think as small as it is, I'll just cling on to it. And, and so I, I did. I just, you know, and that's not to say there was, there was so many other challenges to get through. But when I, when I got to that final morning and I woke up, I, I kind of thought, ah, oh, here we go. And what was even more fascinating is the night before was again another wave of you're not going to make it Ian actually turned around and said to me he said over the last eight hours he said you you haven't hit the times you need to to break the record he said if you keep this up you're not going to break it I just said Ian I'm giving everything I can't give any more I said but don't worry something's got to come up like it always does and about six o'clock in the evening suddenly everything I looked at the, the colours became fluorescent. I had like this injection from my toes all the way up to my brain. Like a, I felt like a chemical rush. And I was like, oh, what's that? And then I started to run. Like, bear in mind, I was over 400 miles in. And suddenly I am running like an absolute beast. But 
it got a bit too like too much like I started to kind of think about what was going on and actually evaluate the situation I'm seeing colors and I started to freak out mm. so I said to Ian I was like Ian I'm unsure about what's going on here and I, I shared with him what I was seeing and what, how it all felt and of course he like doesn't care about emotion doesn't so your legs about going, emotion your fast. yeah he just he's like well is it good or is it bad and I was like, and he's like looking down at me as I'm running like a beast and I'm like I think it's good and he's like well just keep going then and so I I just I kept going and I, I ran all the way through the night and then in the morning after the three hours sleep uh, Sylvia who gets me dressed to get me on on the final day she looked at my ankles and she said Jamie she said this is really weird but she said um the inflammation around your ankles is, is gone like it's disappeared she's like I think your body's starting to kind of adapt mm. and then I knew I knew, knew I knew then I was like right get me on and this is gonna hurt but get me on there and I ended up kind of running in it and just the crowds just ended up kind of building like it was it felt like the entire city like, yeah and there's such a special shot which you can see if you go on Jamie's website I mean you can watch the videos back as well but there's a shot of you coming out after and kind of putting your hands in the air in your costume and then there's like a sea of people. There's so many people there and you're just like, that must have felt so special to you to do it here as well, to do it in your city. It must have felt absolutely amazing. What was the total mileage in the end? What did you hit? So I, I ended up hitting uh, the 517 miles. I remember breaking the record and we did a big countdown. It was like 10, 9, 8, and it just went off, you know, it was like, it was like boom. And, and I had about two hours left then until, you know, until my, my seven days time was up. And so I thought, oh, two hours, that's like, let's smash this, you know, let's try and clock up loads of miles. But the moment I broke the record, it was like my body just, it's like, it was, yeah, dumb. It's like, and I remember like trying to talk to my brain to be like, no, 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 you, no, no, but there's still two hours. Let's keep going, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, just, it was like, it just kind of left. But it did turn into a big celebration. So, you know, Anna was turning on, cranking up the cheers. We got a DJ down. We had an MC. And um, and so it turned into this huge celebration. So I think that was kind of almost the only thing at mm. that point that was that was kind of fueling it. And my dad was getting people up onto the stage. And I remember this one family, he got up and he was like, he was like, Jamie, this, this family's travelled four hours to get here their son's got shringomyelia and uh, so they were up like, on the stage cheering with everyone singing with everyone and we had loads of families from uh, Superior Foundation that I've kind of you know that I've helped but also now good friends and you know you just it was just I, I was just crying I just couldn't stop crying it was I couldn't stop like yeah. it was just it was an emotion that was just prolonged and then and then eventually I made it to 524 miles and that's yeah. where it stands. Yeah. That is the record. Yeah. Hit the 524 miles. Bloody Nora. I think it's really important to draw all of this that we've talked about back to exactly why you do it. And that's to raise money and to help sick kids. To this point, is there a number that you have managed to raise? 
yeah, it's probably over a million now. You know, it's yeah, well that that journey ended up raising nearly a quarter of a million. So um, yeah, it just it just keeps going. But remember when you said why? And maybe I'm still trying to work this out. But when I got off that treadmill, there was my family, my dad, and my brother Lee, uh, who was so supportive. And when when we got to the edge of the thing. I started to beat my my um, fist onto my heart like 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 a like an animal like an actual animal, and it wasn't like a look at me look what I've done. It was like this is for us. Like this is this is for us. It almost wasn't human. Mm. Primal. Mm. It was just it was something else to get to that point. You're a special human, mate. You're a very, very special oh, human. Bloody idiot. <laughs> Mate, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I hope to sit down with you again in the future when there's another challenge incoming or another challenge has been done. I think there's probably only one way to finish out this podcast, and that's by just uh, Gloucester. 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 Bit of a longer episode today, but I think you'll agree it was really, really worth it. What a legend Jamie is. Please remember, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, get that done for us. Rate and review as well. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode.